excited. Uh, so why don't we open up our Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. It says, soon after, soon another feast came around, and Jesus was back in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool in Hebrew called Bethesda, with five alcoves, hundreds of six sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in these alcoves. One man had been an invalid there for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, he said, do you want to get well? The sick man said, sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. And it's in this moment that I would like to pause and pray with you guys. Lord, I come before you and I ask that you bless this message, but that you bless your people. And that in this moment, you will enable them to be vulnerable, but speak to them. Speak to them and, and guide me as I am communicating what I believe you've placed on my heart. In your name, amen. So the, this is the passage of the episode that we're breaking down today. We're breaking down episode four of season two in The Chosen. Has anybody watched? You guys caught up on season two? Like, who's caught up? Let me see some hands. Make some noise if you caught up. So you've seen this episode, season two, episode four, with the man at the pool. Is it not like heart-wrenching? These guys, the creators of the show, show they use their creative license to imagine this moment because the text doesn't give us background to this man's life, but in the show, they give you this montage of him dealing with this illness, this paralysis and going through life and it is finally at this moment because there's other things happening along in the show and the episode and by the time you get to this moment you completely understand that beyond his physical illness this man is broken his heart is hurting he is aching in hopelessness and, and that's, what the, that's why I froze the moment here, because this is where I want to go. And I want you guys to know that today I'm not preaching alone. Yeah, I have invited some resident scholars of our church. What I want to tell you is that I believe this church is a place of purpose. And it's not just in the leadership. As a matter of fact, what I've been telling Pastor Rowe, and I'm, I'm at liberty to say this. I said, I think in 2023 will be the year in which we duplicate the most people that we've ever duplicated um, in raising them into their purpose. Yeah, we have some culture carriers in this house. Can we make noise for our culture carriers? And these are people who are not yet leaders, but we have seen them and we're like, man, at the servant level, you walk with the heart of a leader for this church. And so what I've done is I've challenged some people near and dear to my heart. This is exactly how I said, I said, hey, say, hey, I said, hey, I want to challenge you. And they're like, okay, what is it? So I've challenged a few people. I'm going to name them right now. Angie Otero, Anthony Viola, and Danny Ray Gutierrez. 
I asked them to look at the same text. I kind of gave them an idea in where I felt like the Lord was leading me. And I just asked them to read the text and share their thoughts with me. And I would incorporate it into the message. And so you're going to hear, I'm going to, as I share on some of the things that they said with me, which blew me away. I mean, Angie, I was like, whoa, this girl handwrites her stuff. That was crazy. Um, but it was really amazing. And so I'm going to shout them out. They're not ghostwriting. No Quentin Miller's here. Um, and one more person is going to be helping me today. Can we, can we give it up for Zab as he comes here? You know, I asked Zab to help me because as I was reading this man's story, I could just see the hopelessness here. And that sounds like I'm taking a shot at Zab right now, right? No. But, you know, Zab and I have had an amazing friendship. In our friendship, like what prompted our friendship was a, a hopeless moment in my own life. Where I was just crying out to God in loneliness and despair. And I'm like, Lord, I have no one. I have no, like, iron sharpens iron. I have no one beside me. And in my loneliness, I felt him say, Zab is your friend. And, and later, me and Zab would talk about it, and he said he was in that same place. And then, this is crazy, Zab had a dream one day that we fell down the steps. I was like, what the heck? He's like, yeah, I had a dream if we fell down the steps. It feels prophetic, but I don't know why. I was, I was just like, let's not go down steps together. <laughs> but what we found is in our friendship, we have somehow been in sync in our hopelessness and despair. Like, the, the, there are very few people who've quite under, who've been able to understand the depression that I've dealt with and the anxiety that I've felt in life. But it's felt like every time me and Zab have been there together, falling down those steps. But we've always been able to climb up together because we've had each other. And so it's in this moment that I see this and I, I think of this man's hopelessness. Like, do you hear it in his response when he's like, I have no one. I have no one. Have you guys been there? Have any of you dealt with a situation that has left you so hopeless? And, and Jesus is here, but you feel hopeless. As a child, I was young and free. I had no care because I was under my father's security. I ran with reckless abandon because I was yet to be introduced to pain and risk. One day, like the man in the pool, something broke in me. Hesitation humbled me. I still had some fire, but now I was met with opposition and what was birthed in me was limitation. Helplessness sets in once you realize you can't move like others. You sit and watch the world as it passes you by. You became aware, but you can't understand that as you sit still, others progress and the seed of doubt is planted within you. It seed bursts a voice of my worst enemy, my inner. As you grow, you feel burdensome and your burden, you feel helpless. When you're helpless, it feels like you're drowning. When you're drowning, you can't, you don't just lose air, you lose hope. And that's where I find myself. An anchor that weighs anyone who loves me down because I grew to be dead weight. For so long, I screamed into the abyss, begging for change. Paralyzed by fear and pain, I just couldn't move. As time went on, my voice had faded. I've accepted my fate. To fall underneath others' feet, 
While they reach for what was meant for me, ironically, as I'm broken, I see what was my destiny, but it just lays right there just beyond my reach. Silence has become my companion. Complacency has become my comfort. I no longer speak into what could heal me. I just confirm why I should stay broken and why that's what's best for me. To be honest, I deserve this. I'm a lost cause. I'm just so hopeless. Thank you, Zab. Um, have you guys been there? Like, like, you know, the, you're, you know, it's funny because on the way to church, me and Amanda were on here and, and you know, one of my second ser sermons, I, I preached on my neighbor because she's Christian, but she doesn't realize I'm Christian. So she's always like condemning me, which is weird. So we saw her today and she's like, my name's Miss Victory. And Amanda was like, my name's Amanda. And I was like, I'm about to preach today. Like we, like we know, like we're more than conquerors. We know these things, but like our situation has brought us to a place of such agony to where we're even believing the things that we know may be lies, that we deserve this, that we're broken, that this is hopeless. Have you been there? Yeah, I know I have. And I, and I know Zab has, and it's why I asked him to be vulnerable and share. Um, what that's been like for him. And I look at this man and I can't help but think that that's where he was at. And the title of today's talk is, This is Hopeless. And I want to talk to anybody who is feeling that way today. And I know it may be hard to be vulnerable in a crowd and say, yeah, that's me. Like I could say, like, does anybody believe in Jesus? And that's a real good shout back moment. Make some noise. But what if I was like, make some noise if you're struggling with depression? That's, that's a little. <laughs> I appreciate you people. Y'all brave. So I'm talking about. If you've struggled with anxiety, if you've struggled with feeling anxious, if you've struggled with. This is what I deserve. It's hard to be vulnerable in that place. And so I'm not going to shout anybody out, even though you guys are really brave. But that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk to anyone who's felt like they've been fighting quicksand. Because people are telling you fight, but the more you fight, the more you sink deeper. And I just think there's some factors that play and enable our hopelessness. And I want to talk to them today, talk about them today. And I, I think in this man, we see it. It's so evident, like right from the beginning, from the very first verse, we see something. It says, another feast came around and Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Near the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool with five alcoves, hundreds of sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in these alcoves. And one man had been an invalid there for 38 years. Could you imagine the scene? Sick people on top of sick people. And if you've seen the episode, you know like it's 
packed with people in bondage and brokenness and physical illness. Like, it's packed. Like, you ever take the Staten Island Ferry during rush hour? It's that packed. Like, my mom is a beast at taking the ferry. Lucas saw her the other day. He called me. He's like, I think I saw your mom. I was like, huh? He's like, I thought it was your mom, but then she was gone. I was like, where are you? He's like, I'm at the ferry. I'm like, oh, yeah. My mom at the ferry is no joke. You got to keep up with her. She's 65. She moved like she's 20. She don't play. But it's packed like the ferry in rush hour or a train. It's packed. It's packed with sick people. And I just think like it's crazy because I know that your environment will affect your mindset. The first thing I want, the first factor I want to talk about is your environment and the crowds that are around you. You know, I grew up with four brothers, three brothers. I was the fourth brother. Um, And there's just some things that we just, being boys, like I did not know the toilet seat up rule. I think my mom tried, but she was outnumbered. Recently, this is TMI, recently, you're like, that was already TMI. Recently, I I was, you know, made aware of this hot debate. I'm not going to say any names. But I was talking to Jonathan, and he was like, yo, guys. (laughs) Jonathan's a very common name. The one in the hat. Um, (laughs) He's like, yo, guys, how do you wipe? I was was like, oh, we best friends now. And my wife is there, and she's like, this is what I'm telling you, because I've been trying to tell, and she's just venting. She's like, because apparently I wiped the wrong way. You guys are like, why is he? We're being vulnerable, Lisa. Apparently, you're not supposed to wipe standing up. (laughs) But it's the home I grew up in. I was the youngest, so don't blame me. Blame my brothers. That's what the pastor wrote. Listen, your lead passed. Anyway, it's anointing. Lisa's like, no, don't don't speak anymore. But it's the home I grew up in. Something else we didn't know was that it was abnormal to grow up without a father. Because in our neighborhood, that's what was the norm. So we had single moms raising their kids. It's just what we knew. It was like to the point that like, and I don't know, we're going to find who has dark senses of humor here because this is either funny or it's not, but it's just the fact that we would actually make fun of people who grew up with two sets of parents. <laughs> Christ Uncensored, we're dark here. We would be like, ooh, you got two parents? Oh. I'm just like, that's crazy because it was more normal to have a single mom or even a single father. What we never saw was two. And then that's true in more serious scenarios, like we live in a time where anxiety is at its highest. It's prevalent. And and some of us have, have been there where just toxic relationships are the only thing you've ever seen in life. Like, how do I get out of this when it's all that I've ever seen? It's the sickness that's just 
He's paralyzed. Other people are paralyzed. Other people are blind. It's the sickness that's surrounding him. And the reality is that when your environment is filled with hopelessness, hopelessness becomes your culture. You guys know these negative mentalities? My mom would always raise me to believe this, that an open gate is an open invitation. That's it. Tars don't tickle, they leave you cripple. These were the phrases I grew up with. But then there's like, like weird ones. Like my brother Fo was telling us that he was talking to a coworker and they were talking about the bro code. And he was like that if he knew that his sister, the coworker saying if his sister, because we didn't have sisters, so that's a whole other thing we never knew about. But if his sister was being cheated on, he wouldn't tell her. And my brother was like, what? He's like, bro code. Bro code. Which, I'm like, I don't even know bro code cover that. But there's a toxic mentality that is causing him to behave a certain way. There is a culture. And I think as Hispanics, we've had this culture. I, I grew up with the, the understanding that at 18, it's get a job or move out. So I stayed in school so I wouldn't have to move out. As men, we grew up with real men don't cry. And so what do you do when you're in a situation that makes you so hopeless, so broken, but you're taught to just tough it out? If they get you, you got to get them back. It's your culture. So violence becomes a never-ending cycle. For women, just stop being so emotional. I'm just quoting things that you've been said. And there becomes a culture. And you start to question your emotion. You're just, you're just so emotional. The things that were surrounding him, and although he was ill, he was surrounded by illness. My question to you today is what illnesses have been keeping yours company? And I can imagine, like, you ever, it's, it's just what we do. We just go to the pool. Like, I want to be healed. Uh, we go to the pool. That's what you do. And, and Anthony pointed this out to me when he was doing his research. He found that historically this was the place where outcasts went because they were excluded from the feasts. So this was known as the stuck place. And I could imagine a bunch of hopeless people trying to conjure up hope and saying, well, I saw one person go into the pool. And then years later, just this just, just becomes the thing. You just go to the pool. So we're just all hopeless people surrounded doing the thing that we just have been taught to do. And sometimes there's a crabs in a barrel mentality. And what that is... Amanda made, made fun of me when I was telling her about it because I was like, yeah, scientists put these crabs in a barrel. She's like, that's not what happened. I'm like, what do you mean? It's not science. She's like, no, it's just observation. Like, so this is the thing. If you put, watch crabs at any restaurant, apparently they are in a tank or a barrel and they will try to climb out. But what will happen is the crabs, the other crabs will pull them down. And that's where the phrase comes from. 
Sometimes we're just in a culture that we're trying to do better, but with every step we try to take, someone comes and pulls us back, doesn't want us to get out. And you find yourself in an environment that even when you try to conjure up hope, you're being exhausted by the way you are pulled down by your crowd and by your environment. But Jesus showed up to his crowd. That's what the text says. It says Jesus showed up. It, says, it just says Jesus saw him. I just want you to know that whatever culture, whatever mindset you've been trying to break, whatever your environment is, Jesus will show up to your crowd. He doesn't just see him, he knows something about him. It says, one man had been an invalid there for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he'd been there, he said, do you want to get well? He was there for a long time. And he was paralyzed for 38 years. And I can imagine, and again, if you've seen the show, they, they use their imagination. Like he starts with such fervor and such tenacity and such hunger. But then little by little, he just becomes complacent. You been there? Like, first time this thing, you get this bad news and you're just like, nope. I am whoever God says I am. I am a conqueror. I, I know, I know my breakthrough is coming. And then like day two, the news is worse. It's just like, but I know. And you get, you come to dwell night. You're like, we're going to pray. And then like by day 10 goes on and the situation hasn't changed. For this man, 38 years went by. And I think... There's some of us who are there. I haven't lived 38 years, but I've lived 28, and I've dealt with things up to year 28. Pastor Rose about to turn 40. Lisa is. I won't say 40 what. But, like, that's a long life. That is a long time. Mama Fran is... <laughs> and I can just imagine slowly but surely complacency setting in his life. Like you would think after enough times, homie would have tried another pool. So this is enough times. I know I would have. I would have been like, by try two, I'm like, I'm off this. I want another pool. And I just, I just think like, I see this and I'm like, yeah, what are the things we've been dealing with so long that it's become our new normal? Like you're miserable, you're hopeless, but it's what you know. Like anxiety stops being a struggle, a struggle and it's actually a part of your daily routine. Well, I know at this time I'm gonna deal with my panic attack and this is what I'm gonna do and you have a workaround or, or the toxicity in a relationship or in your workplace or in your home is just the thing that you've learned to manage around because it's just been happening for so long. 
You've given up on thinking about change because complacency has become our place of comfort. I just avoid my triggers now. And things that we were never called to deal with, we treat like allergies. I'm just allergic to that because I know that it'll trigger my anxiety and so I just try to avoid it. I'm just, I gotta stay away from confrontation because then it's gonna make me panic or I, gotta, I know that I can't talk to him at this time because he's gonna get mad and so I'm just gonna wait. And so now we just start treating these situations and our hopelessness as we're just gonna avoid the triggers. And after enough time, you begin to learn to function within dysfunction. I was having a conversation with my brother phone. He was talking about relationships and the role of men and the role of women. And we're talking and he's like, yeah, yeah, but, but <laughs> Rose laughing. Cause if you know my brother phone, he's like, yeah, but you know, take, take God out of it. Like, and I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I can't. Because a part of my worldview is not just believe what I believe God is calling relationships to be about. I believe that there's a story that's so important. It's called the story of Eden, in which we see dysfunction set into humanity. And so if we're trying to talk about the roles from dysfunction, we will only create more dysfunction. We have to go back to the intention. And so many of us are creating plans and systems from a broken place. Angie says, sometimes we are so scared of change. We are just scared of change or we have become comfortable being someone God never intended us to be. That wasn't me, that was Angie. I'll say it was me though, I said it, but yeah. And the reality is like, guys, judgment-free zone, that's how your brain works. Like if I have a watch, but if I take my watch off, I'll still check it. I will check my empty wrist. Because your brain does what it knows. And if you've been to Matrix, you know your brain is wired for the most efficient pathway. Not the most efficient, healthy, best thing for you. That's why we still keep going to McDonald's. It's just there. It's convenient. But it's the easiest signal. If this is what I know, this is what I do. And it's easier to do the thing that may be more difficult. And this is just practical. Like To learn a new thing is harder. And you will prefer to do the thing you already know to do, even though it's way more efficient than to just listen to me, mom. <laughs> She's like, mom, look, let me, can I just show you? Can I just? She's like, no, 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 I like my, my. no, 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 not right now. Like, I'm just, you're just wasting time. Mom, get over cable. But it's, it's just a practical thing, but it also exists in trauma. Yeah, I know this hurts, but I know how to exist in it. And breaking the cycle, here's the truth, breaking the cycle is so much more painful than living in it. 
But before they ever had a conversation, Jesus already knew he'd been there a long time. Jesus knew. And Jesus saw him. He saw him in his environment, and he knew about his complacency. It says, when Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, he said, do you want to get well? That's my favorite part. The sick man says, sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. And by the time I get there, somebody else is already in. And in his response, we've learned, we learned that he dealt with abandonment and failure. That's the last factor I want to talk about. Man, have I dealt with abandonment. I got healed from abandonment issues, and then abandonment issues came back. I was like, <laughs> okay. And I, I always tell this story because it's the perfect story. Like, I've had a lot of people like say, we're, we're going to be best friends. You know, in kindergarten, I would actually pay this kid Clarence. <laughs> I'll give him a dollar every day. I'd be like, yo, give me a dollar, I'm your best friend. I'm like, right, cool. I don't know where Clarence is today, but I know I stopped giving him a dollar. In kindergarten, same kindergarten, Jacqueline, yeah, I'm calling you guys out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> she was like, she's like, you give me a dollar, I'll think about being a girlfriend. I was like, I was a sap. But like, in college, I'm going to a Christian college, and this kid, I won't say his name. He's like, yo, after school, he's like, yo, I feel like the Lord is saying, like, we got to be friends. Like, we got to be brothers. Like, we got to do this. I'm like, all right, well, cool. Like, I don't got to pray about that. Like, I don't got to pray like the Lord said for us to be friends. All right. Sure. You know? And he was like, with such fervor, like, Lord said that we got to be friends. Zab's like, you shouldn't have listened. And like, I was really like, you know, like we bonded, felt like this was the homie. And then the semester ended, never saw the dude till graduation. I know, feel bad for me, guys. But, you know, I say it because it perfectly encapsulates like abandonment. It's like people giving you your word. And as a pastor, like as pastors, we deal with this on the all day, every day. Can I tell you like, you know, I've shown pictures and I've seen like the pictures change of the people in it. And I see this guy dealing with abandonment. I think of myself. Like, you can ask my wife. This is new. But every day I'm, she's like, she's learned to ask me like, hey, are you, in, are you just insecure right now? Because I'm projecting on her. We'll get into a fight and I'll jokingly like, are you going to leave me now? And she's like, no, I said vows. But what I'm used to. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. That's my, that's my baby. But it can be so hard to accept that, like, I've, I literally, literally, I think yesterday, the day before, I was like, yeah, I think I have imposter syndrome about being your husband. Like, oh, I've, I, I can rest now. I don't got to be ready for breakup because I've just been so 
let down. And listen, I've not always been the best partner either. There is a girl out there who thinks that I left her for my cat, so. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was not what happened. It was just not what happened, but we don't have enough time. <laughs> and then he's also dealing with failure. Like he has tried. He's tried. That's right, guys. Move, move with me. He's tried. He's tried. You guys are like, I want to talk about the cat. It's not the message we are talking about right now. I didn't even know you had a cat. I don't. Didn't love him that. No, anyway. So he's tried to succeed and has just been faced with failure time and time and time again in a thing that was false hope anyway. Have you been there? Like you've tried, like if I just can get that thing, if I can just get to that level, if I, and so much so that failure begins to beat down on you. And the problem with failure is it just always shows you how far you are from perfection. But it's right here that Jesus meets this man in his, what's the point of even trying anymore? Someone always gets there first. Anthony says he showed that this is one of the few times that we see Jesus approach someone to heal them. And furthermore, Jesus doesn't talk about his faith. It's important because a lot of the New Testament shows people coming up to Jesus and Jesus saying, wow, your faith is incredible. But there's also so many times where people just have no faith. And Jesus heals them. This is a moment, church, that I can tell you that Jesus is meeting us just like he met that man. But the man is still talking about the pool. You been there? Have you, like, are you there right now? There are so many things in my life that I'm like, yeah, Jesus is making me an offer, but I just don't know how to accept it. Because I've just experienced so much hopelessness. Then, then he says, the man waited on the edge of the pool he hoped would heal him with the one who created the water that was within it right by his side, asking, do you want to be healed? And yeah, I've been there. Where I mistake what Jesus has provided for Jesus. It's like, Lord, if I could just... I was here last week dealing with these issues, and I'm like, Lord, if we could just get here, if we could just have this kind of location, if we could just go full-time, if we could just do these things. And it's like, that's not what matters. In, in the nine or so years that we've been doing Kuha, what has mattered is our name. Christ has been uncensored in this place. And it's why there's like, like Margarita, you're here. And I know like it brings our leadership team to tears to see you. And there have been people who you guys are faithful to this church, not because we got the best presentation and the baddest um, performance and, and like because Emily and Lee can sing and they can and not because Rose, the best-looking preacher in Staten Island. Second best, sorry. But you're here because Christ is preached uncensored. And I have to remind myself, me, your executive pastor. 
And sometimes we are so blinded by failure and rejection that we are blind to the miracle that God is seeking to do from our mess. And Danny, Danny uh, found this and pointed this out. She said, we have all exchanged the creator for his creation, the giver for his gifts. We have sought to quench our thirst with broken cisterns rather than the fountain of living waters himself. Anybody there? Anybody been there? Like you can find yourself at such a point of hopelessness or you can find yourself at a point where hopelessness or the hopelessness of your situation has surrounded you so much. It's gone on for so long and has left us isolated and feeling defeated so badly that we can't even properly respond to the hope that Jesus is offering. I love what Danny shared about this because I feel like I could hear her tone. He goes, Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? This is where I hear it. He didn't ask a complicated question. <laughs> it wasn't complex. Do you want to be healed? That's yes or no. That would have been enough. But this man who had already been there for such a long time mistook the question. This is all still Danny, by the way. For an accusation rather than an invitation. My wife shared this part with me when we were talking about it. She said, yeah, so often we want to show our process because there's just no evidence of progress. Have you been there where you feel like God's saying, do you want to be healed? And you're like, Lord, I've tried, I've tried, I'm trying, I'm, I'm doing the breathing, I'm, I'm doing these exercises, I'm saying the prayers, I'm reading, the, I'm trying. It's like, hey, do you want to be healed? You're like, Lord, I'm going to community group, I'm going to church. Like, and he's like, do you want to be? He's like, I'm, do I'm trying, God. Yeah. He's like, I'm just asking, do you want to be healed? And you just can't respond the way you ought to respond. Well, the sick man says, all of this, says, when the water stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. And what happens next is Jesus doesn't correct him. He doesn't say, hey, that's not how you're supposed to pray to me. That's not how you ask for a miracle. This is what you got to do. What Jesus says is, get up, take your bedroll, start walking. And the man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. And the day happened to be the Sabbath. The Jews stopped the healed man. And I love this because the Jews, the, the, the Pharisees here, are, care more about this guy's mat than his miracle. They say, what are you doing? It's the Sabbath. You can't carry your bedroll around. It's against the rules. What I want to tell you, church, today is everything about this moment is wrong. It is the wrong place. Homie is at a pool trying to get healed. It's the wrong place. It is the wrong time because it's the Sabbath and Jesus is telling him to carry a mat during the Sabbath. And the man had the wrong response. The last thing I want to leave you with is that your response doesn't matter. Jesus is all that matters. It was the wrong place, it was the wrong response, it was the wrong time, but Jesus still healed him.
Jesus still healed him. And what I love is they refer to him. It says, the Jews stopped the healed man. We missed that. He was the invalid man a couple verses earlier. But now he's the healed man. And I, I feel like you can hear these things, right? And I'm like, I know they're going like, to anticipate. I'm going to be like, you need to get out of your crowd. Come to church. It was his healing that took him out the crowd. You need to change your complacency. It was his healing that made him no longer complacent. It's not about your response. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong response, right God. Truth of the matter is, if Jesus wants to do it in you, he will. And sometimes God is calling you to purpose, and you're like, Lord, but I don't talk good, I don't sing good. God is saying, I don't care. Moses is like, Lord, I stutter. He goes, who made your mouth? The greatest clap back in all of biblical history. I stutter. Who made your mouth? That feels like something a parent would say. And when, even when it all feels wrong, Jesus is always right. The truth about your hopeless situation, church, is it is. You are going to feel hopeless. You are going to be abandoned at times. The truth of the matter is we live in a dysfunctional world. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be rejected. You're going to fail. Like you will think you forgave somebody. And then they will be talking. Be like, oh, I can't stand you. <gasps> I don't forgive them. I thought I did it right. Nope. That TikTok video on forgiveness was not. This is the four steps. And you will feel like, I just can't get this right. I ask my wife every time I get her mad, I go, this is how I apologize. It's the most tricky way a psych major would apologize. I don't ask her to forgive me. I go, can I don't ask her if she did forgive me. I go, can you forgive me? Don't. Don't. Because she goes, not right now. She's honest. She knows where she's at. She's like, not right now. Later, but not right now. You're not going to have the satisfaction of getting it right now. Just like, why is Emily behind me saying, that's my girl? You may be feeling like Jesus is trying to stir your heart up right now, but just not feel like you have enough faith. I want, to talk, I want to tell you to talk to Anthony. He said this, many people assume that they must have great faith for miracles to occur. But what we see in this miracle is that despite the lack of faith, Jesus still worked in this man's life. Angie says that in our stuckness, God is doing a new thing. You're not buried, you are planted. And all through the Bible, it is made clear that God helps the helpless and provides for the powerless. Why Angie gets more claps than me? Jesus didn't ask this man the question to know his response. I want to submit this to you today. I think he asked it so that he could respond. Jesus asked it so that Jesus could respond to what the man's answer would reveal. Because you look at him and you say, a paralyzed man. 
But what his answer reveals is that he was a defeated man. He was a hopeless man. He wasn't a paralyzed man who was like, yo, you want to be healed? He's like, yes, yes, let's do it right now. You're Jesus. I know who you are. And, And quoted all the Torah. Like, no, no, no. He was a man whose response revealed that there was a deeper brokenness beyond his body. And what's so cool about this is this story comes after another story. And the story before it is an official saying, Lord, heal my child. And Jesus is like, fine, your, your, your son's healed. Literally, he's just like, your son's healed. Doesn't go to the house, doesn't do anything. The guy gets back, finds out his son is healed. Which shows that Jesus doesn't have to show up to do the miracle. But he shows up in this man's life. And the story before that story is our homegirl. I think she's our favorite person in the Bible, obviously, other than Jesus, is the woman at the well. Another person, faith in a body of water, who Jesus comes to and asks a question. And it's in her response that Jesus responds. In her broken response. I don't have a husband. Yeah, you right. You sure right. And what's crazy about that story, she doesn't run to the town. So she runs to the town, starts preaching to them. She doesn't run to the town and start talking about the com- anything else in the conversation before that. She doesn't talk about like, oh, Jesus said, this is where we're going to worship. And we're going to worship here. And blah, blah, blah. She goes, Tell, come and meet a man who told me all about my life. And he told her that after his question. And his question to this man reveals a greater hopelessness. And I want to use that to call out some of us here who are good sufferers. Like you're good at it. Can't nobody tell. You show up to church with a big smile on your face, you give the hug, and then you go home, but you're broken. And you're going through it, but you're good at like not looking like you're going through it. Hair's still done. Guys, you still coming in fly? Can't nobody tell. You're a good sufferer. I think some of us are good sufferers until Jesus asks the question. Hey, you want to be healed? What? What? You want to be healed? What? What? And then our response reveals that the thing that he's even asking her to be us to be healed about is deeper. But I want to tell you, Christ Uncensored, that no matter how hopeless, no matter how much you're suffering, no matter how difficult it is for you to respond, that Jesus sees you in the crowd. He knows how long you've been dealing with it. And if he's asking you, do you want to be healed? It's not because he's going to heal you. It's because he's in the process of healing you. He, what I love is that at the, at the end of his command to walk, it says the man was healed. It's because he's in the process of it. One last thing. It's a little bit of an epilogue on this man's life. It says, a little later, Jesus found him in the temple and said, you look wonderful. You're well. Don't return to a sinning life or something worse might happen. And I know you guys hear that. You're like, 
let's, let's not focus on the sin part today. Like we talk about it and, and really there's, there's, again, in some of Anthony's digging, there's scholarly work that shows that like the sinning could, have be, could be that Jesus found him at the temple when Jesus was the one who healed him. And he's more calling him to a life of purpose, like focus on the right things. That's my little disclaimer. But here's what I actually want you to focus on that I think this part gets missed out on. It says a little later, Jesus found him. So the first time, Jesus found him. And a little later, Jesus found him. I want to talk to those of you who may be in your little later and think, but I've had my moment, but Jesus had already told me to walk and I, I just, I know I should be over this by now. Well, you're not. You're, you're not. You should, you, maybe you should be, but you're, but you're not. We're not. I know, but I, I went to that altar call, but I'm still dealing with it. I said last time would be the last time and you're in your little later and you were set free, but you found it back and you're hopeless again. I want you to know that Jesus found him a little later. He didn't just find him once. Jesus will find you a little later. He will tell you what you need to hear. He will always find you again, wherever you find yourself in the highest of mountains, in the most successful state, you ain't sinning, you thriving, you running on fire. Jesus is gonna show up there, but he'll always find you a little later. This is the final thing, and then we're done here. I want to go back to where it said the man was healed on the spot. It says the man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. After Jesus says, get up and walk. And what I, what I notice here is that Jesus was able to make the man able to walk, but he only could command the man to walk. Like, what if the man just did it? Like, it was, it was Shabbat. It was Sabbath. It's like, all right, I'll do that a little later. What if he didn't? And I say that because maybe this man didn't possess it, but I know that I have, and I want to talk to some of us who may have, that sometimes we've had the healing, but we're not walking in it. The question is, what healing has your hopelessness hidden? Like, I, I literally was just there. I was trying to figure something out. And I'm like, where does this come from? I'm like, I know it comes from trauma. It's always trauma. What did my mom do to me? My mom's here shaking her head like, hmm. What did my brothers do? What? And you know what I found my trauma was? Entitlement. I found that under the standards that I put my family under, no one could have ever met them. So I was constantly disappointed. And then that left me feeling unnurtured. And this came after a realization, like I went to Dallas BBQs and like I remembered how much my mother, my single parent mom, who, were, who was helping three older boys pay bills and help their families, in the midst of that made time for her youngest son, who came when she thought she was done having kids. Talk about entitlement, you're gonna have me. And always, always took me out 
and she had me late, she had me at 39. When I was 10, she was 49. She always made the time after a long day of work to take me out, to hang out with me, to spend time with me. And I just remembered, I was like, and I apologized. I was like, Ma, I know that I didn't have the best life, but I also feel like in that understanding of my brokenness, I allowed it to conceal how much of a good life I had. And I think some of us, we're walking in our healing. We're not walking in our healing. We, we've been given the healing, but we've just been so caged by brokenness and hopelessness that it's become so hard to even believe that God is calling us to walk. And I want us to put that down today. And I want us to pick up our mat. Can you stand with me? Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing in Christ Uncensored. And I just ask that you speak to the hopeless right now, that they may know you, that they may love you, and they may know that in their worst moments, you are there ready and able to take away what they are dealing with, Lord. And if you have healed them, make them aware, Lord. Open their eyes to see that they can walk. They can walk. In your name, Lord, we pray. to give their life to Jesus today. Maybe you're tuning in, maybe you're in the house, but we're just going to say this prayer together as a family, and we're going to close out our service. And then we got growth track later today. Jesus, you're going to repeat after me, sorry. Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you.